1: What's up? Welcome in. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast. I am Brian Scott Rippy. Today is Mailbag Friday, the people's holiday is back upon us once more. Hopefully, everyone celebrated accordingly. I guess it's Friday evening at this point. I meant to drop this earlier, but ran into some time constraints before uh, heading to my chill uh, desk job. So, anyway, LB's Greg hopping in the cockpit with me as my co-pilot today. Got into some grilling questions, a couple of football stuff, and then the random uh, Mailbag Friday people's holidays shenanigans as usual so we're gonna get right into it I'll save the there's no open today I'll save that for Sunday as Weldon and I plan to do a pretty significant podcast on uh first week of fall camp for Ole Miss so be on the lookout for that on Sunday so I'll just save all of that got some questions to throw his way looking forward to it so this is just a uh casual laid-back mailbag Friday but before we get to that I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks who is Skybox Sports Picks well I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The creators of the Skybox Matrix Interval, and advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the industry. Look, with football season coming up, you're going to want to go pay the guys at Skybox a visit. They're going to have a picks package that fits your price range, whether it's month-long, week-long. You can do a daily pass for 10 bucks, 8 if you use the promo code RIPPY that gets you 20% off. Test them out for a day. Or I would just recommend going all sports for a full year because they are going to pay your money back and then some. I promise you that. Check out Skybox's social media right now. They are uh, releasing uh, a series of articles and bringing that series back as they did in the preseason last year about how to make you a smarter gambler. And those are free. So uh, in addition to uh, giving you picks that are going to give you cash where you don't have to pay the man and the man pays you, everyone knows that text late Sunday night, early Monday morning, wondering uh, can we square up, whatever that may be. Uh, Don't let that happen. If you go to Skybox, I promise you, you will be asking the man to square up. So check out those articles. They're doing a NASCAR promo right now. If you use the promo code NASCAR and sign up for any NASCAR package, 30% off little uh pallet cleanser before, uh, for the main course of football season. So go check them out. And then of course, LB's university Avenue across from Kroger, but Greg needs no introduction. Let's just get to it. What's up LB's Greg on the other end of the line. Been a couple weeks since we talked to our friend LB's Greg, but uh, it, this is preseason for Greg because football season is coming and it's coming soon. We got about a month. So we had to, uh, we had to stretch the legs a little bit, uh, kind of get him out running and uh, getting ready for the uh, for the home stretch of the full season. What's up, man?
2: Oh, man, just uh, like I said, ready for football season. I uh, don't know how many days it is until football season. Isn't it like in the 20s?
1: We're close. So Ole Miss plays Labor Day night, which I think was three weeks from Monday. I want to say maybe it was right. No, no, it had to be three or four weeks from Monday. So yeah, we're definitely in the twenties at this point. I just, uh, it's six, six thirty in the morning. I don't really have the capacity to do that math, but we were, so it would have been a month from, uh, from Monday. So yeah, we're in the twenties. So that's a, yeah. that's a plus. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, it's, uh, we're almost in the home stretch and, uh, getting a lot of reports from practice and, uh, you know, it seems like the offense is going to be clicking on all cylinders, and who knows what the defense is going to be like this year. So, you know, just uh, flip a coin and let's roll with it.
1: For sure. Hard Knocks is back. You've got fantasy drafts and stuff coming up. Like, we're finally in the, the end of the dog days of summer, and it's really kind of two years since you've had this whole – like, the build-up to football season's kind of fun, as much as I don't like August and it being like, gosh, damn it, like, can it get here already? But we didn't have this build-up last year. It was – well, right around this time, honestly, I actually, it was kind of funny. Facebook always reminds you of either the cringeworthy stuff you posted as a middle schooler or like kind of some cool memories from four or five years ago. And I had one actually from last year. It was a buddy of mine got married, but it was the same weekend that it was Though all the reports came out that, you know, football season wasn't happening. mitocartosis, the big 10 was canceling the season, all that crap where, you know, Dan Wolkin got off for a weekend. Like, that was last weekend. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think about. It's really been two years since we've had this buildup.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can remember, uh, you know, uh, at one point, but, you know, hoping that we have football and hoping we have, uh, you know, just anything in general for football and, uh, you know, end up pulling the trigger on it. And uh, I think we had an all SEC schedule last year and uh, it's just good to have a, you know, full out schedule uh, this year.
1: Yeah. It's kind of the cool thing to do to dump on people uh, in power and in decision-making positions. Uh, you know, Greg Sankey catches a lot of that. Some of it warranted some of it just to generate internet clout, but uh, I, I don't understand. I don't see how you can't credit that guy for kind of holding firm and essentially dragging the big 10 along with him uh, and credit to Bob Bowlesby. I know he hasn't had the greatest, <laughs> greatest couple months lately, but the big 12 and the SEC kind of holding firm really saved the football season because, you know, you had two leagues that were like, yeah, I don't know about this. And then, you really had the SEC kind of playing its foot down. So I don't even really know what I'm getting at there. I'm not one to pat Greg Sankey on the back, but I, that was a very strong moment in his leadership. And I think his contract extension was deserved, at least from that perspective.
2: Yeah, and he kind of, uh, I think he weaseled, uh two uh, teams, two big teams away from the Big 12 in the process. So, uh, you know, uh, I guess uh, try not to uh, tip your hat to the guy because uh, I think he might have done a little good in his time. But, yeah, um, we'll roll with it.
1: So let's get right into these questions. Let's just start, uh, start firing them off. We uh, we had a great collection of questions. We've had a great credit to the listeners because we've had a great four or five week stretch of questions. You know, sometimes in the summer it gets hard and you kind of have to beg for questions, beg for content, which is really just lazy on my end. I should come up with my own content. But Mailback Friday, the people's holiday, holidays kind of turned into its own thing. We got to have it. But so the listeners have stepped up huge over these last months we've not uh we've had a plethora of questions so much so that i haven't even gotten to all of them the last couple episodes so uh credit to yeah, the listener it, pat yourself on the back have your kid drive the car for a second but yeah anyway. for sure
2: it's 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 very awesome that you know my mom doesn't have to create a a random twitter account to uh send questions to the uh mailbag friday now it's it's really good
1: that is true. I was trying to get my mom to do the same thing. Like, mom, just create a burner that's like, you know, free thinker for 2069. You just ask me a couple of <laughs> questions. I don't know. Uh, so, anyway, let's go right after it. Here we go. First question right off the top. Hooper Wilkinson checking it in. It seems like the rage among college athletic departments is to increase premium seating options in stadiums. Parentheses Ole Miss recently did a survey about this. I understand the revenue side of things, but I think that preven- premium seating beyond sweet, kills stadium energy. Do you agree? Um, I've never really thought about it from that perspective. Obviously, you know, dudes drinking top shelf liquor and Brown liquor indoors is not like conducive to a loud stadium atmosphere. And Ole Miss is already on the bottom end, if not the very end, you know, other than Vanderbilt and maybe one or two others in terms of capacity and noise. And I don't, I say that to say like there's been some great environments over in the vault over the years, but the stadium is, is much smaller. A little more antiquated, and it's not necessarily designed to hold in noise. So, I do agree with you on that front, but this isn't rocket science. The reason they're building more premium seating options and suite seating options is one more money, but two, they're struggling to sell tickets in the general admission, not general admission, just normal people seats, the bleachers where I sat as a kid. Like, those seats are being struggled to being sold because the at home watching experience has gotten so good. People have realized they don't want to go pay for overpriced concessions, pay for parking, pay for a hotel, pay for whatever, when they can put up a 60-inch TV, put some beer in the fridge, cook some food, and actually have a better watching experience watching at home. Don't get me wrong. I love going to football games. I love going to sporting events in general. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed most about kind of getting out of the industry full-time and being able to enjoy some some games, like I guess as a fan and as a regular person just as an attendee. But – you, you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't say the at-home experience was better, really from a watching standpoint. You pick up so much more on a football game, watching it on television these days than you, you do at the game. And of course, it's a give and take. There's appeal to um, there's appeal to being at the game and being in the moment and, and soaking in the atmosphere. I'm not saying going to game sucks, but that's the reason they're building you know these increased suites and luxury seating is because people have realized, I don't want to go sweat it out or I don't want to go sit in the cold. I want to sit in the comfort of my own home and watch it on my own terms, and my own food, and my own booze, and it's all cheaper, and it's all good.
2: Yeah, I have to, uh, you know, kind of agree with you on that. You know, it's almost kind of uh, um, the uh, the baseball setup. You know, you've got the rebel club up st- upstairs, and uh, you know, there's some people that you know want to go to the games, and but yet, you know, like you said, not sit, you know, not sit in the bleachers, and uh, you know, just get hammered by the sun, and then turn around and say hey, we need to go get a drink and then leave the game. So, um, you know, it's, it's good for sponsorships. Um, it good, it's good for, uh, for particular companies that, you know, have the opportunity to buy a suite and then, you know, present it to their customers and say, hey, would y'all like to go to the Ole Miss game? Well, yeah, but where are the seats? You're like, oh, well, we got a suite and uh, food is in there, drinks are in there, everything's set up, so – you know, it's kind of more of an entertaining value uh, with, the, with the stadium setups and everything like that. But I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, why not take advantage of uh, your nice house that you pay a mortgage on and then just uh, add another TV or two TVs and you can watch two games. There might be another game going on during the Ole Miss game that you're interested. In, so you really can't watch that game at the Ole Miss game on top of it. So take advantage of that and watch both games.
1: Yeah, that is another aspect of it. As much as people enjoy the tailgating scene in the Grove, the one downside to it is, uh, I mean, unless some people, it's not their first rodeo and they have a really great setup where they have a TV and they can kind of go back and forth. But, you know, a lot of those Grove setups, it's harder to keep up with the other games. And, you know, that's just kind of part of it. That's the trade-off you make to go, you know, party with 12,000 of your closest friends for a couple hours. But as, as it pertains to the game, like I don't even really have a, uh, a overly strong opinion on whether I'd watch a game, in a stadium or at home, obviously I think I'd still probably lean the stadium just for the experience, but like, I, it's not even really an opinion on my end. It's, it's just a fact. I mean, you ask anyone that works in college athletics and, you know, game day experience or marketing or whatever, it is a real issue trying to get sell tickets these days and, and get people to come to games. And I think it makes winning as important as ever, because when you win, people want to be there and it's a party that everyone wants to be a part of to where, you know, the Matt Luke era, why in the world were you going to go sit in 35 degree weather to support a team that wasn't beating an SEC opponent unless it was Arkansas or Vanderbilt? I mean, it's just a fact, I mean, that may sound harsh, but it's really just the fact of the matter. And so it it puts a premium on winning and it puts a premium on putting on a show and creating a great environment. And I, yeah, I, I
2: absolutely. I mean, you know, I think that Ole Miss fans uh, would want to go to games this year because it is a good product on the field. And uh, it is something that, you know, like you were saying, who wanted to go, um, go in, you know, vault Hemingway in the middle of September when it's, you know, 90 some odd degrees and we're down 28 to nothing after the first quarter. I mean, that just, regardless of how, uh, how much we win the party and we, you know, we pretty much as we always do, but uh, it just doesn't get to the point where, well, uh, we, we definitely don't win football games.
1: And it is harder to lock in the games in those premium seating. So my parents sit up in one of the end zone deals now. And I mean, my, most of the time, like the people that are into the game, want it can go out to the outside ports part and get into the game. But man, you get sucked inside for five minutes to go grab a drink. And all of a sudden you look up and half a quarter's passed. Cause you, you know, watched the TV or ate the food inside for a second. And it's like, it's harder to like stay locked into a game, but you know, that's part of it being kind of the luxury premium seating aspect of it. So to wrap up that question, about, you know, killing the stadium energy. I think it does to some degree. I think you'll, I mean, there's always going to be more general seating than there is premium seating. So I don't think it makes a major difference, but there is a reason why they're, uh, like you said, it's all the rage where they're increasing premium seating options uh, that that's not, that's no accident. That's certainly uh, there's a reason behind it. And that's certainly why next question we got uh, this one. I'm going to have to defer to you. What is your dream outdoor grilling slash cooking setup because mine is having someone grill it and cook it for me
2: yeah i have to agree right with you you know uh <laughs> how about i just bring the meats and uh we'll we'll just hang out at your place you know uh that's uh that's how that's how i would like to roll with that question
1: oh so you don't have like a do, do, if you, what about if you're having to do the work yourself do you have a preferred setup whether it's a grill or a scene or a setting do you have a favorite place to grill like you ever thought about that um, no,
2: I really haven't. Well, I mean, I I, uh, I uh, rent a house in Como, so I haven't uh, officially set a, a, uh, a pin on, you know, uh, my official house where I live and everything like that. But I mean, I'd love to have, I actually went to my, um, we played golf in Tupelo country club the other weekend and my buddy's uh, backyard setup is pretty nice. He's got a, you know, the fireplace and the two couches and the, the green egg and some coolers and two TVs. So, um, yeah, I would just probably just take a picture of that and just probably just reincarnate that if I ever pull the trigger on buying a house somewhere.
1: I'm a big outdoor fireplace guy. That's a huge addition to really just any outdoor setting. So if you're like growing or cooking outside, particularly if it's a little crisp in the fall, you get the outdoor fireplace going or a TV above it or somewhere around it. Like that's a, that's tough to beat outdoor fireplace. Um, you know, and like a, I'm going to sound snobbish here, but not just like a fire pit where you're going to come back in smelling like you just, you know, saved a bunch of burning children or something out of a fire, an apartment fire or put out an apartment fire, like some sort of halfway manicured outside fireplace. Uh, That's uh, that's tough to beat.
2: Yeah, I have to recommend it. I, you know, agree and recommend it. Just uh, one of those press button fires.
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cut all the work out of it, too. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's funny, but yeah, I agree with you. It's it's uh, there. There's certain situations where you want to smell like a, a fire pit, and there are certain situations where you don't. But I would think if it's like 15, 20 degrees, and uh, you're at the deer camp, I think that would uh, that would require the smelling like a fire. But if you're uh, at a really house, really nice house, and reunion or um, somewhere uh, exclusive, definitely uh, like the push button fire.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the, but the, the deer camp dude you know, that's part of it. I mean, if you're sitting out in front of some gigantic manicured fireplace at the deer camp, like, are you really even a hunter?
2: No, you're, you're not, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're a, you're a host. <laughs>
1: All right. Last one we got from, uh, Hooper Wilkinson checking in on the way to Biloxi first bet on red or black. Uh, I actually thought about this for like a couple of minutes and I was like, what do I do? And I was like, I don't do anything because I walk in there thinking red, no doubt. And then by the time I walk up, I'm like, shit, should I go black? I'm a complete head case. So do you have any more mental clarity on this?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I actually like playing the roulette. Uh, There's a, uh, there, there's a, uh, there's a kind of a theme to it on the roulette. wheel. you have to like break it down into, you know, into sections and wherever the ball lands, you go, Four over, you do the uh, the the first four numbers. No, the first three numbers to the right, and the first three numbers to the left. So, I yeah, I just I I like to do the the red and the black. And as soon as I think about you know, like you were saying, I'm gonna put it on red, put it on red, and then you look down and there's five chips on the black. So you're like, oh well, that worked out real well.
1: Yeah, and the one of the better uh, casino moves is. If you ever come across, it's almost like a like a nice wildlife scene you haven't uh you don't really see very often whether you're hunting or something like that. The dude that's done pretty well in the casino, seemingly against all odds, not just it being a casino, but he's been hammering the free casino booze for at least five to seven hours, and he's kind of stumbling to maybe go cash out, and he decides to put all or most of it on red or black on his way out. And the the adrenaline rush that the collective area around him gets once they catch wind of this gentleman's decision is pretty wild. Have you ever stumbled upon one of those?
2: Yeah. I mean, I actually, uh, uh, my first time in Vegas, it was just, you know, between the roulette wheel and the craps table, uh, you get a lot of, uh, a lot of degenerate gambling uh, uh, vibes uh, in those little areas. So uh, I will say also in the uh, penny slot machines, you get that vibe also, but yeah, it's really cool. And everybody, you know, it's almost like a, a scene in a the movie. They're like, you know, ah, so, uh, I, yeah, I, I love, I love the roulette and the, um, the, uh, the craps table because uh, just because of that vibe, everybody's having a good time. Uh, you know, you're keeping an eye on, you know, either the, the roulette ball or the dice. So yeah, I'm a big fan of both of those.
1: Yeah, and like, it's, it's like this guy had a great night and now he's about to share it with all of us or he's going to come back down to the level most of us are. He's either about to just share this adrenaline rush that he's been on for a couple hours or he's going to be miserable losing money like the rest of it. It's, it's, really, it's really just a selfless move. I mean, they, like, that guy is working for the people when he just gets the crowd going, all of a sudden throws most of his stack on red or black on his way up to do whatever he's doing for a nightcap, really just a selfless move.
2: Yep. Yeah. And then he does the, whenever it hits, he does the Michael Jordan shrug. Like, you know, it just is what it is.
1: That's a power move. Cause I would start running around like hugging people and stuff, but yeah, if you just <laughs> act like you've been there before and you shrug, you grab the chat, uh, your, your doubled stack and then go cash out. That's a, that's all business. That guy's probably been there a time or two or four. Yeah. Or, 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 or four. Here we go. Do you miss working in the sports industry? Well, I mean, I still kind of do um but I get what yeah, you're I mean you talk at. sports yeah I get what I get what he's getting at it I guess I think he's what he's asking do I miss being a reporter and like doing radio and all that full time I honestly got it I actually thought about this a decent bit last night after I saw this question come up I think the answer is probably mostly no are there some things I miss about it sure I mean getting paid to go to games and writing about it for a living and being at practice as much as I would kind of bitch about it sometimes like being there every day and kind of being around the program, it is a cool job. And I think when you get bogged down in the monotony of, you know, covering teams, particularly if they're not very good, you can kind of get pretty cynical about it and you lose, you lose, uh, you lose kind of perspective of what a cool gig it is, but it's also a lot of really, really weird hours. Unless you really kind of luck up or really make it well, you don't get paid a ton and I I won't get too far into it, but long story short, I, I think the honest answer is no. I mean, yes, there are some days where I'm sitting at my desk job wishing I wasn't sitting at a desk job. Yeah, probably. But I kind of have the greatest setup in the world now. I get to, you know, I started this newsletter and this podcast and thanks to, you know, the listeners and sponsors like Greg and others that it's taken off and I kind of get to write about exactly what I want to write about. And I get to do this podcast and, you know, we joined Rebel Grove and gave us a real audience. And so, I still have like I would say one and a half feet in the boat in terms of like being a sports whatever you want to call this now I would just say content creation because I am no longer a reporter I wouldn't even kind of shame the profession by claiming I am it anymore at this point but like I have weekends off I get to watch the games like everyone else I get to do some you know, play a little more golf do a little more traveling and I still get to ride in podcasts so you know all in all I have kind of the the perfect setup and so do I miss some aspects of it? Sure. Is there a way I would go back to it full time? Yes, but it would have to be a really great situation. I think I have the best of both worlds now.
2: Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you. I mean, um, uh, you, you get to, I mean, you know, whenever you show up at a party, they're like, oh, wow, you're, you're here. And you're like, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not at the game reporting on it anymore. So um, I actually get to enjoy my life and actually get to write about what I want to write. So yeah, I have to agree. You're in the perfect setup.
1: Yeah, a little, that was a little bit more of like a, a heavier answer, but I'll get, I'll, what something you said there kind of made me crack up. the, I'll give a lighthearted spin to it. So when I was a, a student reporter, my last year and a half, or I guess it's pretty much full two years, I was covering football games. And so I, I don't know, you haven't lived until, so I would love the day games, right? Cause I could go get done three, four o'clock and then go meet up with my friends on the square and kind of have most of the day to watch football and kind of be a normal college student and, and have, have a good time. But, The 4 o'clock game, 3 o'clock kickoff or whatever, where you're done at like 8 or 9, somewhere around there. Buddy, you haven't lived until you've walked up to like the library or rafters, dead sober, kind of coming to play catch-up with your buddies. And everyone around you is just like mummified drunk. Like if you ever walk up to a bar on a game day at like 9 o'clock at night and you're stone-cold sober – like, I, I'm not shitting you. It really feels like something out of a movie. And it's not even just going to the bar. There have been times where I lived off the square my last two years of college. And, like, driving home, at, like, in the dark in those kind of weavy streets off the square, there's just dudes stumbling around like you're weaving between drunk people. I know it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but drive around no, there sober. Hurt. I mean, I, obviously, I don't condone drunk driving. Don't do that. But, like, drive around sober on, like, a game weekend one time or go up to a bar at ten o'clock, if you hadn't had a drop to drink, and it's it's seriously like another planet. It's it's kind of funny, but it's also a little uh, a little weird at the same time.
2: Yeah, I mean, I will have to. I mean, playing uh, catch up and not eating ketchup, uh, We're talking about C catch up with a C. Uh, it's a <laughs> it's a tough game to play, and uh, especially when you take your first shot and you take you know order your first drink and you look over to the guy and the guy has both hands in his face uh, at the bar, you know, so. Uh yeah, it's a uh, it's a tough game to play, but uh I, I agree with you. Uh Saturdays in Oxford just you know, they just hit a little bit different, especially those night
1: games. Yeah, and there's like you get up there and like I'd start trying to catch up at like, you know, nine or ten o'clock at night. And then when the you know at Oxford bar closed twelve, twelve thirty, whatever it may be. And it's like I'm kind of looking around, like, all right, where are we going next? Where the nightcap? And then the guy that usually is like, you know, volunteering to have it at his house is Hunched over at a bar stool, and you're like, "Is that spitter throw up on his jacket? Like, what? What it doesn't look like he's going anywhere else?" So it's uh, playing catch-ups a tough game to play. Yeah, Obviously. for sure. And then
2: uh, you almost are like, "Man, I almost don't even want to go to the gar- bar, bar, but just because of that, you know." uh Just oh, that was a big one. It
1: was it was tough to bring yourself out after seeing that a couple of times for sure.
2: Yeah, and then as soon as everybody's you know sees you, they're like, ah, that. where have you been? Like, knowing like they know where you've been, you know. So um yeah it's just uh it's almost better to play the safeguard and just go home
1: yeah you're you're dead on about that because it's you know people are wanting to talk about the game they're all hammered I'm like dude can I get to the bar first I've just had to wade through a sea of you people for 30 minutes just to even get to this point like, like uh, let me get a couple drinks down the hatch and then we'll catch up pal. so let's uh, uh keep it a moving here we go best uh if you had to pick one home game to come to if you're an out-of-state alum that has a busy fall which home game would you pick um, I, I, yeah,
2: I, I, I'll answer this one first, just because I just feel, I feel real confident in this answer um, just because of the situation. If, if we're, we will be five and one hosting LSU uh, in Oxford. And I really think that's going to be a big game. Uh, so I would definitely recommend the LSU weekend. It's always, it's always a, you know, a crazy weekend. It's always, you know, a good weekend. There's a lot of people in town. Um, you know, if you're, you know, a diehard fan and want to see, you know, some action, I would definitely do the LSU weekend. But, you know, I'm, I'm just going to have to throw this out there. But, you know, the two lane weekend is more up my alley. You know, not as many people are probably going to go just because of the two lane game. But, you know, something like a little smaller game is always a good for out of towners also.
1: Fantastic answer. You just really kind of like read my entire brain there. I, I Honest to God, I don't have a ton to add to that because I was going to hit both of those points, actually. Uh, one thing I'll add to your LSU answer because that was going to be mine as well. And the reason I say that is on the other side, like you mentioned, that there is a decent chance, a pretty good chance that Ole Miss is 5-1. I wouldn't say it's guaranteed, but I, I would say they have a pretty good shot at being 5-1 and one heading into that game. And I had Brody Miller on the podcast. He covers LSU for The Athletic on Monday or Tuesday. I can't remember which day. And we were going through it, and we got toward the end, and we started going through their schedule. And here's what LSU has leading up. At UCLA, now, you know, Max Johnson, um, you know, first kind of real, real game is him at the reins of the program. I know he started a couple games last year at quarterback for them. And now UCLA's actually got a pretty experienced roster if you look at it, but I do think LSU wins that just on sheer talent alone. So we'll give them that. They go McNeese, Central Michigan at home, at State, home against Auburn, at Kentucky, which is actually probably going to be more of a, a trip-up game than you think. I think Kentucky's got a chance to finish second in the East this year. I think they're actually very going to be very good if they can figure out the quarterback thing. And I say figure it out. They've got a couple options there, just kind of a kind of a prove-it situation. So LSU would not shock me if LSU uh, went in October 9th and lost at Kentucky and Lexington. But then they get Florida at home. And so let's just say, they will give them the benefit of the doubt, they get by both of those. There's a world where LSU is not even, quote-unquote, that good, but is undefeated for that October 23rd game. I just went game by game, and that probably wasn't great podcasting. But there is a real chance that LSU is undefeated coming into that October 23rd game, just because they don't have Bama or uh, Texas A&M. And like to that point, they played them later in the season. And so like you mentioned, if there's like a game where it's, well, if Ole Miss season goes well, and there's a game where it's kind of like it's back like 2014 ish back like that neighborhood, it's going to be that night. If Ole Miss is you know, that's going to be a raucous atmosphere like that, if, if you're kind of looking for the Lane Kiffin, put the program on the map game, that's a real strong contender. So I agree with you there. And then
2: is I think is, is there a time? Do they know what time that game is yet? Or are they just. No, that's, uh, a, that's
1: late enough in the season where you'll figure out two weeks in advance where they'll announce it the Monday before, like, the, like 10 days before, not literally the Monday before. Um, so no time yet on that one. But you'd have to assume that's going to be a night game, just a hunch. Um, with it being LSU, Ole Miss, and just just a guess, unless it's the CBS game, but that's that's got a real chance to be a kind of a you know in the book the Lane Kiffin book at Ole Miss that has to be a chance that has a chance to be one of the first kind of explosive chapters, I guess, for the lack of a better analogy. So I agree with you on that one. And then I thought you made a great point with the the two lane Austin P weekend being more uh, your speed because particularly uh, you know if you're out of state alum and you're not getting to go to very many games. Like, yes, obviously, maybe you want to kind of go to the the hype experience game, whatever you want to call it. But those weekends where there's not as many people in town and you can kind of comfortably tailgate and comfortably walk around and the square's not a complete madhouse, that's a ton of fun. Those are honestly some of my favorite games as students. And honestly, some of my favorite games as reporters because most of them were early in the day and I could have the day afterward, like I mentioned earlier. But that that, that halfway crowded weekend where there's still a game, but it's not a zoo is kind of prime time.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's why I mentioned it, just because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that, you know, want to go to that big LSU game. But, you know, you, you really have a lot more fun. You get to see more people um, and you get to, um, you know, do the things around town that uh, you, you normally got to do whenever you were living in Oxford. So, I, you know, like I said, I think the Liberty weekend might be a really good weekend, uh, but I think it might be a pretty busy weekend just because of the Hugh freeze factor.
1: Yeah, uh, no kidding. Could be a pretty busy weekend for some surrounding clubs too. Um, we'll leave it at that. Let's see. The Texas A&M uh, could be another one too. I guess Since we gave the same answer, my second option would be Texas A&M. Late November game, I think Texas A&M would be pretty good if the season's going well or overly well for Ole Miss. That's got to be a chance to be a uh, pretty solid weekend as well. Let's see. Here we go. What's an ice cold take you have for the football team this year? So you're basically asking me to regurgitate a bad take. This is, this is an interesting one. Okay. um, uh, I,
2: I I had to answer it too. And it's just, uh you know, like I was saying, you know, it's just the, it, it, it all lies with the defense. I mean, you know, just how, how well did they improve on it? You know, cause I'm re- really not worried about offense whatsoever. I just think that, you know, you yeah, have the Elijah Moore situation, uh, you know, it's hard to replace a guy like that, but, you know, you look at the wide receiver core. I mean, I think Jonathan Mingo has an opportunity to, you know, fill in that AJ Brown, uh, DK Metcalf role. And then I think Braylon Sanders is, I mean, you know, just so many weapons on offense. You just don't even worry about the offense. And even with the offense last year, I mean, the Arkansas game crowd through six interceptions, but yet we had an opportunity to win the game, you know, and it's just uh, the offense is going to be there. I just, my 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 whole my cold hard hard cold take on this on the season is if the defense can get three, if they can get off the field on three third down conversions for the other team, I think Ole Miss wins the game 90% of the time, just because I think that offense is just so solid.
1: I'm trying to think of what he means by like cold take. Does he mean one that's gonna, kind of, you know, do you have that freezing cold takes account where they retweet all the one of my favorite internet accounts just because it kind of It kind of shows the uh, hypocrisy of Twitter, but just the silliness of Twitter um, in a lighthearted way. I think that guy does a good job. I think that's a really entertaining uh, brand of content there. But does he mean like ice cold take to where I'm going to spit it out now and I'm going to look like an idiot later? I think that's what he's going at. Or maybe he's just going with like state the obvious. So I'll give you two. The ice cold take would be that Matt Corral's decision-making doesn't improve and it costs Ole Miss two or three games again and Ole Miss doesn't reach its ceiling. Now, do I think that's going to happen? No. I think Matt Corral finally having some sort of stability around him with a competent coaching staff, not having to learn a new system, having a spring, having some sort, like I said, just continuity of learning the same system and kind of learning the nuances and intricacies of it rather than you know trying to learn an entirely new playbook because of this dysfunction around you. I think that's going to help, and so I don't think I think he will improve on that, and his decision making will be better. But at the same time, you do need to see it. He is a bit of a gunslinger, and from an NFL draft standpoint, Chase and I talked about this the other night. That's really the only thing holding him back is the decision making. It's not like a huge red flag yet, but he did have a six and a five interception game. Now, context needs to be added to one of those. The LSU game, he was shorthanded, just kind of trying to make shit happen, but I would like to see the decision-making improve. I would like to see him go, you know, I'd like to see him play two quality defenses and not have multi-pick games in both of them, I guess is what I'm getting at. And I'm not saying he hasn't done that before, but I'd like to see a little more of it. So my cold take on that would be Matt Corral's decision-making uh, doesn't improve enough into where the turnovers uh, kind of cost Ole Miss a couple games. I don't even really believe that, but you asked me to spit out a cold take. I think that could potentially be true. I wouldn't. I wouldn't buy stock into it. So, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to, you know, generate some, some internet clout now only to look like an idiot in four months, that's probably the take I would, I would type out on Twitter.
2: Yeah. I, 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 that one. And I think uh, my mine would be that Ole Miss manages the clock. Well, this year, because I mean, you know, like say you're say you know, uh, Ole Miss is up by seven and there's, you know, four or five minutes to go. I mean, you know, run the ball, run some clock, you know, make the other team use their timeouts, and, you know, kind of manage the clock to where uh, the other team doesn't get as much time whenever they do get the ball back. But uh, I just, you know, I just think that Lane's offense is just kind of not built for that. And Just, you know, the more points, the merrier. It doesn't matter how many points we're up with, how many uh, minutes left to go in the game. I would just love to see some more clock management.
1: For sure. Ole Miss kind of struggled a little bit with that last year in the sense that so Ole Miss had led the SEC in rushing, so it's kind of weird to to make to say they struggled on the interior a little bit. But Chase made this point the other night, and I agreed, and I think he articulated a better, a little bit better than I did. Ole Miss struggled a little bit on the interior offensive line last year, to where they struggled to get a push, and so you know they weren't great on short yardage situations. If you ever noticed that, and so when they were trying to kind of run the ball between the tackles and milk the clock, they didn't really have that option to do that, just because they didn't, they weren't gaining consistent quality yardage. You know, you know, in between the whatever gaps you want to call it. Now, it's long, long gone are the days since I was in a football huddle. Uh, In my long gone, I mean, since I was like 13. But you know, off the center, off the guard, those interior running plays, Ole Miss didn't have the option to do that a lot of the time. And so, I'm curious how improved they are in that regard, and then how they manage it with presumably a more competent kicker. You know, we talked about this. I looked this up on the pod the other night. Ole Miss made one kick from 40 yards or more over the last two seasons. And I think that factored into how Elaine Kiffin called plays and kind of, it was game management in general. I, one of these days I'm, I would love for a coach just and Kiffin kind of does some of this when it comes down to like, and Matt Luke was so guilty of this when, when Ole Miss was trying to salt something away, they would get Uber conservative and it came back and bit them in the butt a couple of times, the South Carolina game a couple of years ago in the Arkansas game, Luke's interim year come to mind. Like, I would love for a coach just to kind of say, to hell with it, we're going to continue to do exactly what we do. If we're up four with four minutes to go, we're not running the ball four times, praying we get a first down and can milk out the clock. Now, is it is throwing it three times in a row and three incompletions prudent? No, but just run your offense. Do exactly what you've done the whole game that's gotten the 40-plus points on the scoreboard. Like, don't change anything. Maybe go at a little slower pace, but don't change the play calling to a conservative nature just because you're trying to salt the game away. I think coaches make that mistake too often. I'm not even saying Kiffin did that. It's just something I've noticed amongst you know football in general, particularly at the collegiate level.
2: Yeah. And that's what makes Alabama so good is they can do certain things like that. I mean, like there'll be, you know, uh, there'll be a team within 10 points with them with like eight minutes to go. And the other team will get the ball back with like a minute to go. And they're down 17. They're down 17. It's just uh, they can just
1: lean on you like that. And it's just
2: it's good to have uh, five star athletes uh, in every position. Also, that's uh, that's for sure.
1: Do you want to open an Ace Hardware either in South Carolina or Georgia? I could really use that in activation in my inventory. Um, I, I, this might shock you, but I'm not really the Bob the Builder type. So no, I do not. Greg, thoughts? I didn't no. got a lot with the with the whole you know running a successful uh, butcher shop in the horse racing. Do you have Do you have hammers <laughs> and nails in your future? Um,
2: no, I mean, like, uh, I, I mean, no, I'm not an Ace Hardware kind of guy. I, I kind of stick to the, uh, to the knives and the cutting boards, uh, thing, but, uh, no, I'm, I'm good on opening Ace Hardware. And so, I mean, sounds like a really nice place. I haven't been, I mean, if, uh, I'll accept an invite if, uh, if y'all want me to go there, but, um, <laughs> I'm good on opening Ace Hardware. I got I got, I got to stick with the, uh, what I'm really good at. And I guess I'm pretty good at this, uh, butcher thing.
1: I'll never say no to anything. You showed me a couple of revenue projections and kind of a blueprint to how to make this happen. And I, I could put the tens of dollars in my savings account towards this. So never say never, but yeah, I'm never like, I'm never going to, I'm just not built that way. I'm never going to be the guy that puts on his like tool belt on a Saturday and goes and kind of like builds a table or something, just not really in my repertoire. Uh, I would probably end up injuring myself. So, um, you know, staying out of the ACE hardware. One time I had a buddy kick a hole through some drywall in a college house And I walked into a Home Depot trying to kind of act like I knew what I was doing, replacing the drywall. And that's probably the closest I've gotten to sprouting like a huge chest beard.
2: Yeah, like I said, um, uh, there's contractors, there's butchers, there's uh, carpenters, and there's uh, people that, uh, you know, uh, particularly do this uh, for their life. So uh, I can contact those people to help me out on that.
1: Yeah, podcasting, you don't have a lot of heavy lifting there. So let's see. (laughs) If you were to infuse blueberries into alcohol, which would you choose? I've already done vodka, so what's next? Uh, whoa. So this man's making yeah. his own alcohol and infusing fruit into it. Blueberry vodka sounds pretty good. I'm not a gigantic fruit guy, but if you could make a, a blueberry beer that tastes like the Abita strawberry beer, where it doesn't just taste like a fruit soda, it actually tastes like a beer, I could uh I could get behind that. As far as, like, other liquor, I, I don't know. Blueberry whiskey probably wouldn't taste great, right? I'm not an expert uh, on this, so I'll defer I- to I- you
2: Yeah, um, uh, I mean, I mean, we make a blueberry sausage. So I mean, you know, I can uh, definitely say that uh, I've used blueberries before. So, uh, you know, uh, the blueberries are kind of, you know, are uh, kind of like not a sweet uh, fruit, but you know, you kind of need to maybe add like the the maple syrup. That's what we do with the sausage. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe uh, uh, uh well just blue maybe a a really good wine you know blueberry wine maybe or a, a, like a uh maybe a, a um I, I don't know um I, 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 you got me on the blueberries uh to make it more alcohol out of but I I have to agree with you blueberry vodka really good with a, a splash of lemon and a um and, a, and some tonic water I recommend that.
1: Yeah, maybe rum. I'm not a big rum guy, but I'm assuming there's a blueberry rum already out there. But if you're wanting to do the whole homemade deal, maybe try that route. I, I, wrong person to ask there. Here's one that's way more up your alley that he follows up with. Best way to clean a cast iron skillet.
2: Well, you don't want to ever use soap and water. Um, uh, that, that's, that's for sure one thing that you can definitely chalk up. Um, whenever you use your cast iron skillet, um, the, uh, you want to make sure you have olive oil or butter or something like that to clean it with. You know, you want to, uh, rust is not your friend on cast iron skillets. So, uh, just be aware of, uh, of that and just, uh, very basic. So just don't use soap. And then there's a, uh, another rule is, uh, you can use uh, hot oil. So just basically, you know, clean it out with, uh, with your cast iron. So I would just do like medium heat. And then, you know, whenever it cools down, just take your rag, and just wipe all that oil out to where it leaves a kind of a coat of oils uh, in that cast iron.
1: Next one we have up, I don't have much to add to that, as you know. But uh, so why not use soap and water? I'll follow up with that. I'll at least ask the dumb question that maybe some people are thinking out there.
2: Because that's going to ax ac- That's going to access rust.
1: Ah, I got you, and that's not what you want. You don't really want rust in what you're cooking. Well, you right really there. don't
2: want to clean your cast iron really good because, I mean, uh, all those flavors of what you've been cooking in that cast iron, you know, cooks into whatever you're cooking. So, uh, you know, as, as Guy Fieri say, you, you definitely don't want to clean flavor town. you know. So uh, just stay clear of that soap and water because that's going to create your rust.
1: Good answer there. Uh, here we go. What do you think of Kiffin's new contract terms what does it? Uh, where does it rank among the highest paid coaches? So, here's what it is for those that haven't seen it. Kevin restructured his contract. Just kind of classic, a little bit more detailed version of the classic four year rollback. But he's making four point five in 2021. He bumps to five and five point two in 2022. Five and a half in 2023. And five point seven fifty. Basically, he's getting a two hundred fifty thousand dollar raise every single year after getting a $750,000 raise this past year. So in 2024, and I'm assuming, you know, by the time we actually get to 2024, if he's still around, his contract will have been restructured by then. But just in theory, for the sake of an argument, he will make $5,750,000 at the peak of this contract, just for the sake of the exercise here. So I think it's good. I mean, obviously, Ole Miss, you're going to want to commit to paying Lane Kiffin. The second part of this question was where does it rank among college football coaches? Well, Saban makes 9.1. Ed makes 8.7 Dabo 8.3 Jimbo seven and a half Gus at Auburn is last year was 6.9. So this, this, con- this, this list I have is a little bit outdated. Kirby's a little under seven James Franklin. It, it's in the uh it's, it, it's right below like the Dan Mullen range. So it's like top 20, top 15, top 20 paid coaches in the country but he's asking where does it rank among the highest paid coaches and him leaving for another job. So maybe I'm in the minority on this, but I think this, the money with college coaches, particularly if you're successful is getting to the point where I just don't think Kiffin is like, I'll put it to you this way. I give, I don't think Kiffin is leaving to take another job just because that next job will offer to pay him seven and a half as opposed to five and a half. I, I just don't think with the amount of money these guys are making and the bonus and the incentives and all of that. I just don't think, you're, you're uprooting whatever you've built in a program just for $2 million extra bucks a year um, because you, the situations are different and there's so much more that factors into it. Am I naive enough to say Kiffin's not leaving Ole Miss for any job? No, of course, that would be stupid. But the money, particularly with SEC West schools and the gigantic bump in revenue the league's going to continue to get and then not to mention adding Oklahoma and Texas in a couple years and then getting off the CBS deal and getting the ABC ESPN deal, the, the schools are going to get richer and richer and richer. And so I, I don't think that Ole Miss is necessarily as at nearly at a disadvantage as it maybe once was in terms of being able to pay coaches to stay. So I think when push comes to shove, Ole Miss is going to open up the wallet, you know, pretty much to compete against anyone. Now, if Texas, Texas A&M, something like that comes in one day and it's like, hey, man, here's 11 million a year or something like that. Uh, you know, there there will be a number that Ole Miss probably can't or won't match. I'm not saying that number doesn't exist, but I guess I'm saying there's fewer and fewer scenarios where they're just going to lose a bidding war than there was maybe 15 years ago. And so I, I don't think, yeah, I think the, the thing with Kiffin is you'd have to worry about situation. I don't think he'd probably go back to USC. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Would never say never in the crazy world that we live in that is college sports. But strictly from a money aspect, I don't think you're going to see coaches leave you know, middle to bottom tier programs in a conference to top tier programs in a conference, just because they're paid more. If that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've heard some Alabama fans that say that you know, Saban's, uh, you know, as soon as Saban leaves, you know, Kiffin's going to be the next you know person to take the Alabama job. You know, maybe maybe not. You know, but I just yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, I think Ole Miss is paying Kiffin properly and. uh, you know, and that's what it takes these days to, you know, get a high-profile coach. You know, you've got to you – got to shell the money out and uh, make them happy and put them in a situation to where they can get the players they want and, you know, build the program the way they want it. So, I have to agree with you. I mean, I think that's a perfect spot for uh, Ole Miss what they're paying them right now.
1: And say things – I put myself on mute there for a second. The, uh, say things – kind of go well for Kiffin and he kind of stays on this trajectory and kind of has Ole Miss back in that. Let's say that Hugh freeze range where they're kind of flirting with the playoff, but they're nine and three, maybe he gets to a sugar bowl or whatever. Yes. It would, would the Alabama job certainly be enticing. Would he probably at the end of the day, take it maybe, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out the scenario. It's certainly a better job, better opportunity. I don't think you're, you'd be lying to yourself that, but let's just say Texas is through its fourth coach in 10 years or whatever, or something like that and Sark doesn't work out, and they make a big run at Kiffin. If you're Kiffin, do you really want to go deal with the dysfunction at Texas? Because now if, if Sark fails, and Tom Herman already failed, and Charlie Strong already failed, and maybe you could blame some of that on Charlie Strong, but, like, Herman was a good coach at Houston. And, like, it's beca- I guess what I'm getting at, it's becoming more of a Texas problem than a coaching problem. So if you're Kiffin and Texas comes in and is like, hey, man, here's $8.5 million a year, come fix us. Bring Texas back. We want Joe Tessator back yelling Texas is back by beating a 4-8 Notre Dame team. Why would you want to? Like, I guess. I'd, why would you want to subject yourself to that mess? I guess is what I'm, I'm getting at. And I'm, I'm literally just thinking out loud. From if I was a million dollar coach, so this is coming from a place from ignorance. Of course, I'll never be in this position, but like, if I'm making five and a half, close to six million dollars, and at that point, I would imagine Ole Miss would have bumped him into the mid sixes at least. Why would I want to go take nine million dollars to go to a completely dysfunctional situation where I could end up on my ass in three years because of, you know, the things that go on at Texas and all the hands reaching in the cookie jar? Like I think situation and stability matters in terms of a competently functioning athletic department way more than money does these days.
2: Yeah, I have to definitely agree with you. I mean, you know, like don't get me wrong, I'm pretty sure Texas is one of those, you know, top top five jobs, you know, to, that you want, you know, as you start your coaching career. But do you really want it after you know certain situations that have gone down in the in the last you know five to six years and going through coaches like uh, you know like uh, like golf shirts or, or I'm pretty sure I could have done a better turn like old girlfriend's baby I don't know uh, yeah I, I would stay clear of the Texas situation because you know no matter how high profile of a coach you are they're going to expect nine to eight wins you know first out to get and you know there might be a coach where what kind of might make, be a um, elite situation at state, you know, like I, I imagine state wanted him to come in and, you know, start immediately winning, but you know, there was, he didn't had have his particular player and he recruits a particular player. So, you know, it takes time. And, you know, does Texas have that time when they're paying you eight to $9 million a year? Probably not, you know, so they just assume that, you know, you're a coach and you can win as with anything as you walk in the door. And I I just don't – I'd probably stay clear of that.
1: Most underrated golf course in Mississippi?
2: Well, there's – I know uh, your answer
1: because we talked about this recently.
2: (laughs) There's a a couple of them. I mean, I played uh, Tupelo Country Club last weekend, and uh, I would definitely have to put that in the top of the list. Um, You know, uh, reunions – I wouldn't say underrated because a lot of people know about reunion. Uh, Laurel Country Club uh, is a really nice uh, country club down there and the Pine Belt. Um, it's an old, old country club. It's a really nice one. Uh, but yeah, I I, I, I just like I said, I, I didn't realize Tupelo Country Club was going to be my answer uh, for this question. But uh, yeah, it's a nice layout, very forgiving. Um, you know, the course is in really good shape. They just hired a, uh, a young superintendent and man, he's got those greens rolling really good. And, uh, you know, there's a really good core of, uh, of golfers down at uh, Tupelo country club also. So, uh, it's an overall really, really good time. And I, I highly recommend if you know anybody that's a member of Tupelo country club to hit them up and, uh, see if you can not get on and, uh, have a weekend of it.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I'm a little bit spoiled out living out here in, in the DFW area. Now we're, This is the greatest public golf place I've ever lived. And I I don't think I'm like biased because I was reading, I started reading more about it because I was like, maybe I'm just from Mississippi and like have never lived in a major metroplex with great golf. But DFW is actually one of the best public golf course like places in the country. I mean, there's a hundred courses in this area that are all pretty, not all, but a lot of pretty solid public golf options. And Mississippi unfortunately doesn't have that. I, I hope it's getting better. You know, the refuge being down at the, by the airport and that being renovated. Like I hope Mississippi's public golf scene gets a little better. Um, maybe a little more options there. Uh, that's just my hope, but because it's such a good golf state in terms of the talent they produce and, and the players and the teaching instruction, I've gone on this soapbox box a hundred times in this podcast, so we don't need to repeat all that, but. Yeah, Tupelo Country Club is a great golf course to grow up on. I played a couple of junior tournaments there. We had a lot of high school stuff there. It's fair. It's a fun course. The greens are always lightning fast, but not, like, stupid. It's undulated enough to where it's, like, challenging on the greens, but you're not, like, you know, landing on some random knob after hitting a good shot and then putting it off the green just because you can't stop the ball. Like, uh, shout out Oxford Country Club. That happens a lot. That course is really just kind of clown mouth golf. But, like, I I, I I guess what I'm saying is it's a fair course. It would be a great country club to grow up on. Tupelo Country Club is one of my favorites, and I haven't been there in probably, at this point, 10 years or so, so I'm sure it's gotten even better. A couple of public options I'll throw at you is the preserve down on the coast. I don't know if this counts as underrated because I do know it's, it's, it's fairly nice, and I know it's fairly well-known, but we took that casino trip – down there last fall with a bunch of guys. And it's a really nice, really fun golf course, really well capped up. And they're, they're pretty laid back. They're very conducive to you going out there and having a good time. I mean, look, this was a bunch of 25 year olds kind of still getting after it. We'll say, and you know, you know, day two, we had a couple of Jagaloons that decided they wanted to play barefoot from the first tee on. And the starter was like, yeah, whatever, man. Like they didn't care. You had a bunch of dudes just teeing off barefoot firing bombs down the first tee and they didn't seem to care. Now we weren't like tearing up the course and being, you know, idiots or anything per se, but like the staff is laid back. It's a really nice golf course. I enjoyed the preserve. That's a that was a really great experience. Um I've heard the Dogwoods in Grenada has kind of not gone completely by the wayside, but was maybe not what it once was. But that was a fun golf course back when I was younger. Um that was that was a really good one. I haven't done the new refuge one. So I I, I will hold off judgment on that. I the old refuge was okay, but I've turned it's turned into a real golf course now uh, Cherokee Valley is run for whatever reason. I've never played Cherokee Valley and I've always heard great things about that place. Uh, I think that's like olive branch yeah, area. Yeah,
2: it's a, it's a solid course. I, I mean, I've played it before. Yeah. It's, uh, and there's a couple in the Hattiesburg area that, you know, you I like
1: Hattiesburg play. country club.
2: Yeah. And i uh, you know, cane breaks a nice one. Um, uh, Timberton's uh really solid Hattiesburg's a really, you know, solid uh, golf community too. Also.
1: I guess I'll settle on the preserve is my answer down on the Mississippi coast. If that counts as underrated, I don't really know what it is in terms of like the mainstream golf knowledge in the state of Mississippi. So I'll go on that. Uh, and of course, yeah, I mean,
2: I, and were we basing it off like old Waverly, you know, being like, you know, the top tier and then what's, you know, uh, comparable to old Waverly, but just nobody knows about, it, I would probably say something like you were saying preserve Tupelo country club, you know, just really, really nice really nice course but yeah uh i would i would definitely would like to grow up and be a club rat in uh tupelo country club for sure
1: yeah great great course to grow up on so i'll go preserve as one and uh if i can think of another one i'll add it on another podcast let's see do you think old miss is making a mistake mistake retiring number 10 i mean no i think it's certainly well deserved i mean between i know they're retiring it for eli but chad kelly was pretty good too like again yeah. you, what you're getting at is someone if a kid if, I don't think there's a kid that's not going to come to Ole Miss because the number 10 is not available so if someone may say that but they probably didn't want to come to Ole Miss anyway so no I don't think it's a mistake I think it's kind of cool I mean you retire Eli Manning's number if, if he doesn't if he's not worthy of a jersey retirement I'm not really sure who is
2: yeah I mean like the only thing I can think of is like maybe not retirement retire, it, retire it, and maybe do kind of like the Chucky e. Mullen situation you know give it to like the most prolific offensive player, you know, wears ten, or you know, just like you know, uh, Chuck, you know, the, the defensive player wears thirty-eight. So maybe start a tradition with that and not retire it. But yeah, man, I mean, Eli Manning is, you know, uh, has got. I, I just know it is the time frame very similar to uh to whenever Archie left to where he um where he got you know kind of the same time frame as Archie's retirement number.
1: Is that kind of like the same time frame, maybe? That's a uh, Langston Rogers question. I will inquire about that, but I honestly have no idea.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would just think uh, the only reason why they're you know retiring ten is just because it's kind of like the same time they end up retiring Archie's number. So, um, I, if you don't want to retire it, I would say you know leave ten open to, and just uh, award it to uh, the most prolific offensive player, or you know, or somebody that's a you know a real good team leader that's uh, that's deserving of ten because. You know Eli was Eli man, and he was a great ball player and that sort of thing. But yeah, you, that's what happens with numbers; they end up getting retired.
1: They say competition style ribs should be done where you can pick up a whole rack and they completely stay together. But I prefer where they completely fall off, fall apart. Does this make me a poor rib connoisseur? This is up your alley.
2: Yeah, no, that, that's definitely. Well, that's definitely doesn't make you a poor connoisseur. Just, but yes, you are correct uh, at Memphis and May. They have the rib competition is literally you have to uh, slice it and show the teeth mark on it and everything like that. So, um, but yeah, there's uh, two different ways to do ribs, but competition rib is uh, is just like you're saying it has to be sliced and you have to see the teeth mark on it and you're judged off the teeth mark of your rib. So, but yeah, uh, but yeah, is there a reason for that? Uh, because it's not uh they're using a a smoke dry rub. You know, that wet, rib, those are wet ribs is what he's thought uh, what he likes. Um, so, yes, yeah, it's, it's a dry rib. Most Let's, competitions are based off of dry ribs,
1: dry smoke ribs. I got you. I got you. Here's another one that's uh, directly for you. As a local business owner and supporter of old Miss, how has name, image, and likeness changed the way you manage your marketing budget? Is there potentially more value slash return on investment in entering into an NLI deal with the select student-athlete? or by doing a sponsorship with the university.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I, I wish that, um, you know, I, I have my, I have my budget that I, I keep because I like to um, pay people like Rippey and pay people like uh, Neil McCready and the Red Cup rebellion guys. It's because, you know, these, these people are talking to Ole Miss fans and they're talking to them via Dallas, Nashville, Atlanta, all the way down to the coast, you know, and there's, Um, you know, some people that you know are up north that are Ole Miss fans that you know listen to these podcasts, so that's kind of what I I usually spend my money on. But yes, I've been confronted you know by a couple uh athletes, but it's just hard for me. I just kind of really don't understand it still. I mean, you know, I just uh don't want to sit here and just uh write a check to you know a particular athlete and be locked in on that athlete and uh because. You know, I, I do. I, I mean, I'm actually feeding the football team this uh, on the 19th. Uh, I'm feeding them a snack, supposedly, which a snack consists of 100 half chickens, nine bacon-wrapped pork loins, three three large pans of mac and cheese, a salad bar, and uh, two th- uh, two large pans of green beans. So that's considered a snack for almost for almost football teams. So. Uh, just, I, I just, you know, I, I, I like to, uh, you know, want to take care of the whole thing. I would – if there's anything I'd like to, you know, maybe work out a deal with the offensive line and the defensive line, you know, to where you've got these big guys holding tomahawk steaks and you say, you know, it's like LB's, here's your meat, you know, that sort of thing. You know, I just don't want to tie into one particular person because, you know, we can go – we can do versatile, versatile things with multiple players, so – Uh, of course it would be nice to get you know Tim Elko and uh, you know make a burger after him and you know give him the percentage of 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 sales but I I just I'm not real familiar with the NIL thing and just uh, just don't want to get off into something that I'm just not familiar with
1: yeah you hit on it there just a second ago and I've never actually asked you this but there's probably a wait and see element to all this right because in like two years if it's you know, you're looking around and other businesses are really getting tremendous value of it, and you have a better understanding of, like, what a market – because there's no market, like, standard or market value right now. People are just kind of throwing around money just, you know, hoping it sticks, hoping it works. Like, I, get, I, I definitely respect, like, not wanting to dive into something you don't understand – but, like, it's probably a shrewd move to kind of wait and see because, like, there's going to be some of these deals where they're going to end up looking terrible on the company and some of them are going to look like complete steals. But, like, there's probably a world a couple years down the road where, like, okay, this is probably something we need to get into. But, like, kind of like you mentioned, like, right now, it's kind of like a free-for-all. Like it, I don't understand it. I don't understand what constitutes a certain value or a certain number. So, like, you know, is it something you'd be open to to getting down the road once you have a better handle on, like, what the market actually is?
2: Yeah, I w- I mean, that's just what I'm just – you know, like I said, I wish that I had the extra money, and, you know, just coming back from a June, July, you know, summer, where in Oxford, you know, businesses, you know, do kind of struggle in June, and July, and August, and you have to be, you know, tight with your inventory, and you have to, you know, keep an eye on your employees' hours, and, you know, just because, you know, there's 40, 25, 30,000, you know, students that aren't in town, you know, pumping money into the town, and so, With that being said, you know, if I did have the extra money, you know, I just have to be smart with it because it's just – it's something that's not in the game plan for me. But once I figure it out and everything like that, I just – you know, uh, Wes Burton uh, sent me a message. Uh, uh, Bitch sent me a message. Um, James White sent me a message. And, you know, the the one thing I just replied with it and it was just – very basic and simple it's just like you know I, I need more I need to do more information on this before you know I, I give you money I just it's just kind of a it's, a it's a it's a situation that I'm unfamiliar with and you know if I did have the extra funds I would love to you know sign somebody up but you know just how much how much um how much business am I going to get if um if say West Burton uh has a burger and you know I and mean, there's a picture with him and it says you know LB's where here here's where I get my meats you know so it's just hard for me to judge that out so that's kind of why I do the the you Right special is because whenever a customer comes in and says hey I'm here to pick up the Rip Right special you know that gives me an it gives me an idea of how many people are listening to the podcast and how many people are drawing into the store and so it just, it just helps whenever, you know, you know, what, what that money you're being spent on, it comes back to as a, as a customer.
1: Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Let's see. we got a couple more before we get out of here. Let's see. Do, do, do. Which one? Oh, is here's an interesting one. We got earlier is Plumlee the player with the most weirdly obsessive fans you've ever covered. I think he's great, but I've never seen someone defend it as hard as him. So I've never really understood this one. Like, I, I maybe I'm just and I covered him obviously for two years, so like maybe I'm just like not privy to like I guess the maybe fan banter or fan engagement, but I don't really understand that. Like, I, I, does he have vehement haters and vehement defenders? Like the kid has made the switch to receiver. I think you could all admit that he turned into a much better baseball player than at least I envisioned him. I didn't know what he was at a baseball player. I could never get a straight answer from anyone on that. So like, I I, I don't like I don't. I don't really know what you were expecting him to be. I think Rich Rodriguez being a maniac offensive coordinator created a bit of a divide because you could tell Corral was the better quarterback, but Plumby probably fit the system that didn't work better. If that makes any sense at all, so that that cr- kind of created a polarizing deal. But the way I see it, he's a he's a seems like a good kid. He's very charismatic. Like yes, does the kid love the camera, but he's in college. He's having the time of his life. I don't anyone who knocks a 19, 20-year-old kid for having fun you know, doing what he does is probably more of a reflection on you than anything else. So like, I, I guess I've yet to like see these weirdly obsessed fans that you're referring to, Um, you know, and at the same time, he's only a junior, I guess he's maybe a sophomore using the COVID year. I don't, I have to check on that, but like he scored five touchdowns against a LSU team that won the national championship as a freshman, not a ton of dudes were doing that in 2019. Yes. He wasn't as much of a factor last year. Cause He was kind of a guy without an identity. He wasn't really playing quarterback. Now he's made the transition to slot, which I'm more optimistic on maybe than some, I think he could actually be uh, pretty good if he figures out the hands part of it. So like, I I guess I don't really know how to answer this because I I guess I'm not familiar with the defenders or the Plumlee cult, I guess is almost what you're saying it, but I think he's a good kid. I think he's a special talent and I think he's a good representative for Ole Miss. So like, I I guess, but like, I don't think he's overcovered. I think most of it's a joke. People love to joke that he plays the piano and things like that, but I mean, I know there's a a couple sites. There's one in particular that loves writing John Rice Plumlee stories, but from a content perspective, it's particularly from TV. It's kind of low-hanging fruit. He's charismatic. He plays an instrument. He's well-spoken and he plays two sports and he once played quarterback and scored five touchdowns on the defending national champion. So like or once defending national champions, whatever LSU 19, like so I don't really know. Like I I mean, if Plummy turns into a hell of a slot receiver, there's a world where he turns he, he turns into kind of one of the more versatile and interesting old miss athletes that we've seen in the last 30 years or whatever. So like I don't really get the Plummy is overrated crowd just because I've kind of view him as what he is. If that that was a rambling answer, did that make any sense? Yeah, it makes yeah, it makes. I mean, like
2: you were saying, I mean, he's a good kid, he's always got a smile on his face. You know what? What? What I like so much about plummy is he's a good teammate. You know, and that's uh, that. Th- that attracts me uh, at to him. You know, as a player on and off the field, because you know you can see that he's willing to do whatever it takes to help the team. You know, if uh, say for example in baseball, if like if he didn't get the starting outfield or center field uh, job, you know. He's going to literally be on the sidelines ready to go to, you know, fill in on a de- defensive uh, substitution or try to uh, steal a base whenever the team needs a, uh, a stolen base. And, you know, and that's uh, another thing, And you know, switching to slot receiver. I mean, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to uh, say that uh, I know for a fact, like I think he had an option to leave Ole Miss and, you know, go somewhere else to play quarterback, but he chose not to so I mean you know that's just a sign of a good uh good person and you know somebody that you you know you want to have on your team but uh I would love to uh to read a tweet that is uh you know kind of uh not liking Plumley and is uh and uh, either as as a player or a, a person
1: I, I kind of you I guess what he's getting at like yeah no I agree with what you said like I guess kind of what he's getting at is like he is kind of a superstar on Ole Miss's campus without having like been a superstar per se at a particular sport yet. But like, you know, I think that's just kind of comes with the fact that, you know, if you, if you have a short kind of successful run and, you know, I wouldn't call the 2019 football season successful, but Pomey was electric. I remember the first time he got the edge in Tuscaloosa, the first time we'd really seen him, I'd heard he was fast, but I was like, Holy hell. Like he just beat Alabama's defensive end off the edge. You know, did it oh, and that it
2: time it? where he jumped over, jumped jumped over that uh, Alabama guy, I
1: was like, yeah. Wow. So that that speed is electric, and like it, it it really is kind of like it kind of like t- I mean takes your breath away. Is probably a little extreme, but it kind of takes you back if you haven't really seen it before. So I, I think that just kind of speaks to you know if you kind of catch lightning in a bottle, that'll carry you for a while in terms of like a clout perspective. And I'm not like saying he's a clout chaser, but I get what you're getting at in the sense that like he's not necessarily a superstar in either sport yet but is kind of marketed as one. But I mean, he was a spot starter on a team that was a game away from Omaha. You know, he's been a D one college quarterback and now he's going to be a receiver. Like he's the skill set is kind of hard to, to, to peg down, but I I don't think it's unwarranted per se. So I don't know. I think he's a good kid.
2: Yeah. I I mean, and I also think that every uh, fan in the sec knows who John rice, Paulie is and plays for Ole miss. That's another thing you can look at. Uh, I'm, I can't name anybody on Mississippi State's team or anybody else's other team. You know, I think is Colin Munn still at Texas A&M?
1: Uh, no, he is in the. He's with the Minnesota Vikings, maybe. Yeah.
2: So I mean, you know, like you know, like I said, I think every SEC uh, fan can you know know that you know John Rice Plumley plays at Ole Miss and he plays all, all, uh, football and baseball. I know that's been hammered pretty hard that he does both but you know uh people know uh, who he is so i mean you gotta tip your hat to that for sure
1: last one before we get out of here if you could change careers and do anything you want to do what would it be Uh, i gave a sarcastic answer and said market a used cooking oil collection service that turns it into renewable diesel which is what i do now (laughs) So i'll give a, uh, i'll give a real answer on this uh probably professional golfer seems like a pretty sweet lifestyle to me so that uh i would go pro golfer
2: yeah i would have to say i mean uh before i got into the horses i would definitely have to say uh tour caddy you know or um or or something to do with golf because i i was big into golf but um, it for me it would have to be um you know owning a a horse farm and uh you know and taking care of the horses and being around the horses and, uh, you know, because, you know, they're just like athletes and they're just uh, cool to be around. So yeah. And plus, uh, plus I can, I can do it for a long time, you know, that golf and walking around and everything. That sounds, uh, sounds pretty tough on the back and the legs. Give us the horse update before we get out of here. Floor is yours. Oh, uh, you know everything's good with the horses um we had um i had uh, cost a cost of fortune our our first my first yearling purchase uh run her first race at saratoga the other day and uh, she did really good she um uh, pulled up to the uh to the leader at the at the at the at the corner and uh you know the leader was a todd fletcher horse so uh i think he has the juice uh, so uh, she kind of Kind of tried tried to start chasing her, and uh, she ended up settling for a real solid fourth. And uh, you know, it's always exciting to you know um, purchase a horse and get updates, you know, weekly as she grows and as she trains and everything. And she finally gets on the racetrack. Uh, so that was a really cool experience. So uh, didn't get to go to Saratoga this year, uh, but Saratoga's is not going anywhere. So uh, definitely going to make a trip eventually to, uh, to Saratoga to watch a race, but. Yeah. um, For the dreamers is going to be running in a uh, stakes race in Pennsylvania. So that's, uh, that's good. But uh, yeah, if we could go through all the horses, it would probably be another 45 minute segment. So just don't have, have, have that much time to go through it, but uh, yeah, the horses are good and you know, it's uh, Oakland is opening up extra this, uh, this year and it's going to be in December 3rd. So might have uh, Christmas in Oakland this year. So, but, yeah, the horses are always fun and entertaining, and it's just uh, good to be a part of something with the, with the ponies.
1: I'm going to have to tag along to one of these Oakland weekends because my girlfriend has a lake house up in uh, Lake Hamilton. No, I'm going to have to tag
2: along with you since the <laughs> girlfriend has – yeah. Yeah, but you're the, the guy with around. all the
1: knowledge at the track. I'd just be walking yeah, I, like like some I, asshole.
2: Uh, no, I mean, I just – you know, I, just, I, I try to sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I really don't. But with that being said, but, yeah. Uh I'll have to tag along with you to that uh Lake, uh Lake Hamilton house for sure.
1: That's our show. I appreciate it, dude. I uh I gotta run, but uh we'll be back at it. So Weldon and I will be back with a fall camp kind of week look at recap, whatever you want to call it on Sunday. So be on the lookout for that. Check him out, LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Y'all know the drill. Oxford lucky to have it, the best place in Mississippi in the world for that matter, to get meat. Um, dude i appreciate it football season will be right around the corner we'll get the fresh cuts back going losing some money so uh always looking forward to that but i appreciate it as always dude have a good one
2: yeah man as always and y'all have a good weekend out there but yeah we'll be ready to go for college football picks and uh we'll be uh we'll be collecting money here before you know
3: the headlines remind us daily the world is a dangerous place the elites in charge say everything's fine stop noticing but you know better